Hello and welcome back to the final Come Follow Me Bible Challenge of 2022. We have reached the book of Malachi, and we're going to talk about Malachi today. going to consider Malachi chapters 3 and 4 today. But this is the last time that we'll be doing the uh, Come Follow Me Bible Challenge for 2022. Next week, of course, is uh, Christmas. And then it's into the new year where we're going to go through the New Testament. Really looking forward to that. The first six months, I believe, according to the uh, LDS church schedule, the first six months is just going through the four Gospels. So going to to spend a lot of time looking at the teachings or the the life and teachings of Jesus. And that's going to be great. Hope you join me for that. But today, we're going to finish talking about the Old Testament, and Malachi, and just some real interesting stuff here at the end of the book of Malachi. So Malachi was a prophet, the final of the minor minor prophets as preserved in Scripture, uh, the section leading to the end of the Old Testament known as the minor prophets, where you have these 12 smaller books of prophets that are all kind of saying the same thing. Have you noticed Have you noticed a theme in the Minor Prophets where over and over and over again, they are saying uh, that Israel must repent, that Israel, if they, if they want to experience the covenant blessings of God, they have to show covenant faithfulness. So that's, that's what's being preached to Israel over and over and over again. And then you also get interspersed there, you get these promises of restoration and these these hopeful promises delivered to Israel that there's coming a day when they will turn to God and God will restore all things in Israel, that they will be planted back in their land and they will have all sorts of agricultural blessings and there will be peace and safety as they dwell in the midst of those nations that were once their enemies. They will have total safety and security and they will be known by God and enjoy fellowship with God forever. So there's a mixture of calling to repent and warning of God's judgment and these messages of hope that one day God's going to do an amazing work and, and all things will be restored in Israel. So that's what we're hearing over and over and over again in these minor prophets, and Malachi is no exception. This is the only place in Scripture where we hear of Malachi. He's not mentioned outside of his own book, so it's a little bit unique in that sense. And uh, there are some phrases that come up in Malachi that are unique to Malachi. I'll point out one or two of them as we go through. But uh, let's jump into chapter 3. As Malachi has been sharing these oracles from God, these, these prophecies given to him from God, to his people, Israel, Let's uh, see what he's saying in chapter 3, Malachi 3, starting in verse 1. God says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like Fuller's soap, he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, 
so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed." So again, I, I think you're probably seeing these themes or hearing these themes of promised restoration and judgment. The promised restoration comes after God sends his messenger. That's chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, so many times in the Old Testament, when a prophecy is given about what God is going to do in the future, there are elements in that prophecy that are nearer, and then there are elements in the prophecy that are farther away as far as time is concerned. Perhaps the most famous passage on this is Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's Christmas time, so what a great time to share this verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it goes on to say that the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be, ca- he'll be called Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And, and he'll rule, the government will be on his shoulder, and he's going to rule in the earth. Well, we know that the child has been born, right? Unto us a child has been born. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus has come. Yet at the same time, the government isn't on his shoulder yet. Though he is king of kings and lord of lords, he is not exacting his kingdom on the face of the earth in the same sense that he will be in the future. There's coming a kingdom. There's coming a Messiah-led government from Jerusalem that will, that will express dominion from sea to sea. But we're, we're, we're not there yet. So why does that passage put it all together in one spot? Well, it's because God didn't give them a timeline. First uh, Peter chapter one is very clear on this, that the prophets were were exploring when all these things would happen because God didn't tell them when these things would happen. He just told them that they would happen. So we have something like that going on here in Malachi chapter three, when God says that He's going to send His messenger. The messenger is going to clear the way before me. God says, God Himself is coming. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So what's near and what's far in this prophecy? Well, the near part is that there's a messenger coming, that there, there's a messenger that's going to come clearing the way before the Lord. And we see that clearly in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, It says, starting in verse 1, that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, he said to Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. 
the blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Well, the men went away, the disciples of John the Baptist went away, and then Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John, it says in verse 7. This again is Matthew 11. He said to the crowds, What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. That's Jesus quoting Malachi 3.1, and he's applying it to John the Baptist. This is the one, Matthew 11.10, John the Baptist is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. So when we consider what has been fulfilled or, or what was near in Malachi 3 in that prophecy, that part was obviously near. 400 years after Malachi gave this prophecy, here comes John the Baptist, and he's the messenger that's clearing the way before the Lord. All right, so that part is near. Well, what about the other half of verse 1? The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That part is still far off. The Lord whom you seek, he's also called here the messenger of the covenant, and there's one of those phrases that only Malachi uses. God is called the messenger of the covenant. He is coming, and he's coming suddenly to his temple, and that part hasn't happened yet. That part is still far off. It's the second coming. And how do we know that? Well, let's, again, look at verses 2 and 3. What's he going to do when he comes? Verse 2 says, Well, who can endure that day? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire. He's like fuller's soap. He is going to be like a smelter, a purifier of silver. He's going to purify Israel. The sons of Levi, in particular, are mentioned here. He's going to be refining them like gold and silver so that they can present offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then Judah and Jerusalem, their offerings are going to be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of the former years. None of that's happened yet. All of that is yet future. So we are waiting that time when the Lord returns, even though his messenger has already come and he's cleared the way. He's cleared the way for the first coming when Jesus came as a lamb. Yet, we're seeing here in Malachi mentions of the second coming when Jesus comes as a lion, and he comes as one who's going to be a refiner, a purifier, a smelter. There's going to be lots of judgment for Israel and for their enemies. That hasn't happened yet. And you see that in verse 5, this judgment aspect, that he's going to judge Israel in particular judging their sorcerers, their adulterers, kind of a hard word to say, their liars, those who swear falsely, it says, the the oppressors, the ones who uh, don't give the wage earner his wages, those who oppress the widow and the orphan, those who turn aside the immigrant, 
he's going to judge all of them at his return. But here's an amazing verse that maybe you didn't catch the first time. Verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Some could have been looking at the state of Israel, and perhaps some today are reading Scripture and considering Israel and thinking, well, why doesn't God just wipe them all out? Well, I mean, he's done this to other nations. A nation goes awry, generally speaking. He just wipes them out. Why doesn't he do that with Israel? Why doesn't he treat them like the Canaanites that were dwelling in the land during Joshua's day? Just kill them all, and we'll start over with a new batch of people, and we'll, we'll make it right with a new group. Well, it tells us in Malachi 3, 6, the reason why God doesn't do that is because he doesn't change. He makes promises, unconditional promises, and he never changes. He doesn't go back on those promises. He doesn't change the, uh, the details of the agreement. He doesn't uh, get grumpy and then decide that he's done. He doesn't emotionally lash out in ways that we do, just uncontrolled changing. That, that doesn't happen with God. But because God is a rock, God is an anchor, God is unmoved and utterly stable in every way, his promises are sure. And when he has told Israel, look, this is what's going to happen to you. You will be restored. There will be a cleansing so that your sacrifices will be pleasant in my sight. They'll be done in righteousness and, and you will be fully restored to me. He means it when he says that stuff. He, he, he totally means it. And it will happen. And nothing's going to change that. And this is God's sovereign power at work. And he's going to purge Israel. There's going to be that judgment, like verse 5 mentions, against all those different groups of sinners. There will be that judgment. In fact, we looked last week, or I at least mentioned it last week, in Zechariah 13, two-thirds of Israel is going to be cut off. But the third that remains... They're going to be restored, and the Levites especially, we read here, are going to be restored to lead Israel in their fellowship with God. All right? Well, that's a bit of chapter 3. <laughs> well, let's look at chapter 4, and chapter 4 is just six, six verses, so let's uh, look at all six verses. I'll read those. The final admonition, my heading says, the final verses of the Old Testament. Malachi says, God through Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Wow. Pretty epic stuff. B 
being discussed here. The days are coming, burning like a furnace, is how it starts. And the message is about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a very important theme in both the Old and the New Testament. The day of the Lord is, of course, God's day. That's what the phrase literally means, the day of the Lord. And God is going to exercise great judgment in that day, starting with a great time of tribulation. There's going to be a time on the earth that is unlike any other time. This is described in Revelation 6 through 18, described in Matthew 24, Mark 13. God is going to execute great judgment on the face of the earth, leading to lots and lots of death, bloodshed, just terrible experiences for mankind. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is spoken of so often as a day of terror, gloom, darkness, death. That's what's going to happen. But that day of the Lord uh, extends, it continues on into a time of great judgment where the Lord is physically present on the earth, ruling and reigning. It's his day. And that day, of course, is still future. All of this is yet future as we look at it today. And the text that we were just looking at here in Malachi 4, speaking of the day of the Lord, says that in that time, the arrogant, every evildoer will be chaffed. There's going to be utter judgment for every evildoer. And that's great, great hope. Aren't you glad God's going to do that? He's going to be a good judge. Now, if you're not forgiven of your sin, then you are one of the evildoers that he's talking about, and there's judgment awaiting you. But if you've been forgiven, you can look forward to this day. God's going to set them ablaze. And verse 3, it says that these evildoers, the wicked, they're going to be ashes under the soles of the feet of the righteous in the day of the Lord. They're going to be set ablaze, and their ashes will be stepped on, trampled on by the righteous. And it'll be a great day for the righteous. Verse 2, those who fear God's name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. This is one of those phrases, again, that's only in Malachi. The sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings, and the righteous are going to go forth like a, a calf that's been pinned up for so long, it's been cooped up, it's going to be released. <laughs> the people are going to be released. Just like that calf, they're going to be able to skip about with joy freely. There will be that sense of freedom as a calf from the stall. That's pretty amazing. And so... Malachi says, in light of all that, well, again, God says through Malachi, verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. They were still, of course, at that time in Malachi's day, living under the uh, Mosaic covenant, the conditional covenant issued to the people where Moses received the law from Yahweh himself as a constitution for Israel. That was how they were to govern themselves in the land. That was uh, a long, long list of commands that came with blessings and curses. And so Israel in that day, uh, Malachi says, they were to return to the Lord, repent. And they were to uh, show covenant faithfulness that they might receive blessings from the Lord. They, of course, failed in that, and they weren't able to do it. But uh, let's consider these last two verses of Malachi, uh, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Because this goes beyond that, goes beyond that time where they were under the law. And now it's looking forward again to what God's going to do in the future. And it says a very perplexing verse. 
verse 5, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is coming. And again, even for us, it's yet future. And before that day, Elijah the prophet is going to be sent. Now, some people connect the ministry of John the Baptist to this section as well. Now, we looked at how Malachi 3.1, very clearly that's talking about John the Baptist. He is my messenger, God's messenger. In Malachi 3.1, Jesus applied Malachi 3.1 directly to John the Baptist when he said, John is the one about whom this verse speaks, all right? But is this Elijah figure in Malachi 4.5, is that also John the Baptist? Well, again, I want us to look at the book of Matthew, this time Matthew 17, to consider what's going on here with John the Baptist and Elijah, because there's very clearly a connection. So let's, uh, let's look at this. Matthew 17, starting at verse 1, the transfiguration. What an amazing, amazing event that's recorded here. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? (laughs) Great question. Verse 11, And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. That's Malachi 4. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Okay. (laughs) What an event. Well, next year at some point, we'll look at that text in detail as we'll, uh, we'll be going through the New Testament together. But for now, let's just consider the basics uh, of the setting. Jesus took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain. He was transfigured before them. His face was shining. And Moses and Elijah, boop, they show up. Pretty bizarre. And the disciples recognized Moses and Elijah it seems, in the moment, which is also pretty bizarre. And the Father speaks from heaven, saying a very similar phrase to when Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. An amazing statement. And when the disciples look up, Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Jesus. 
So they're walking back down the mountain, and you can imagine if you were Peter, James, or John, it's like, Jesus, I have 728 questions. (laughs) I cannot believe what just happened. So they're asking questions, and one of the questions that's recorded for us, this is, again, verse 10. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So you can assume that they're thinking about Malachi 4 here. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And verse 6 says, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. So there's a restoration ministry. Elijah will be sent before the day of the Lord. And while Elijah is there, he's going to have some sort of restoration ministry. He, Elijah, will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. Okay. So in verse uh, 10 of Matthew 17, the disciples ask, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And look at what Jesus replies. Just look at verse 11 for now, not verse 12 yet, so we can see the first part of his answer. He answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. That's the first part of his answer. He verifies that there is a future coming of Elijah. He doesn't say, you're right that they say Elijah is coming and will restore all things, but here's what's actually true. He doesn't say that. He says, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. He's, he's teaching them. Okay, now let's look at the second half of his answer. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they wished. So, on the one hand, he's saying, yes, Elijah is coming and will restore. On the other hand, he's saying, but he already came. (laughs) And they did not recognize him. And there is a clear indication of John the Baptist, where, again, there's a, and you can go to at least one other place in uh, the Gospels where John the Baptist is associated directly with Elijah, where, you know, the disciples understand that Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist here. Jesus is saying that John the Baptist, in some type or figure fashion, is Elijah that has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they wished. And it's important to recognize that when Jesus says, yes, Elijah is coming and will restore all things, he this is after the time of John the Baptist's death. John the Baptist has died. Of course, he'd already been born and he had already been ministering, but now he's, he's dead and Jesus says Elijah is coming. It's a future event. But then he also connects John the Baptist with Elijah, saying that Elijah already came. Now, it could be that he's also talking about um, the prophet Elijah in some sense, but the fact that the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist, um, to me that indicates that, that's a, that they had a true understanding, and it indicates that in verse 12 he's talking about John the Baptist, okay? So what do we make of all that? I mean, can we actually make heads or tails of anything that we just saw <laughs> in Matthew 17. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we, we can, we overcomplicate this when we try to demand a bunch of details that 
God just hasn't given us. So we just need to be content with what God has given us, and I think we'll be okay. John the Baptist cleared the way as the Lord's messenger before the first coming of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Malachi, he's the messenger who was sent to clear the way. And Jesus came. Jehovah, Yahweh, God in flesh, came. All right, so that's point number one. Point number two is John the Baptist's ministry was similar to that of Elijah in that he was a prophet. He was calling the people to repent. He was used of God to deliver special messages to the people. He had a ministry of seeking to restore people to God, his baptism of repentance. He was calling people to repentance. And so there's some similarity there to the ministry of Elijah. So that's that's point number two. Uh, in that sense, he was the Elijah who has already come. But point number three is this. There is coming a fulfillment of what we read in Malachi 3 and 4, where the Lord is going to return, Jesus himself. There will be a strong judgment on Israel and on all the nations. And there will be... Um, that there will just be a, an amazing account of his day where there will be judgment and restoration taking place. Yet leading up to that second return, there's another Elijah who will come. And that's the one spoken of in Malachi 4.5. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, some people interpret Elijah four or uh, Malachi four five, speaking of Elijah the prophet, as literal Elijah the prophet, the one who did not die but was taken up into heaven, uh, that we read about in First and Second Kings. Some people believe that that Elijah is being spoken of. Other people believe it's another John the Baptist type figure who will have this a similar ministry or same a similar spirit as Elijah the prophet. Some point to uh, Revelation 11, the two witnesses that are ministering during the tribulation who have a special ministry. Some point to them and say they are the Elijah that is to come. We just don't have that detail. But according to Jesus, there is yet future someone who's coming who's going to prepare the way for his second coming. Someone who's, someone who's coming to prepare at least certain people, for the restoration of the Lord. Perhaps that one-third of Israel that will be saved. Not the two-thirds that will be cut off, but the one-third that will be saved. And what's going to happen to those who heed the ministry of the, the Elijah who is to come? Well, the Elijah is going to restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And God says, this is happening so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That's happening so that when God comes, it's not going to be all judgment. It's not going to be all fire burning everything away as chaff. But instead, he's going to come and there will be restoration for those who are looking forward to his coming, those who have faith. All right? Well, that's it. That's the end of Come Follow Me, the Old Testament series. Thanks for joining me. I wonder how many of you have actually listened to the entire series. Maybe there are some of you out there. Uh, that would be cool. Appreciate you guys listening, uh, joining, and I look forward to next year. Join me as we delve into the person and work of Christ 
based on the gospel accounts in the Bible. That's going to be great. It's going to be real good. Hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas, but more importantly, that uh, you have a, a blessed life based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, based on a saving knowledge and saving faith of Jesus. Okay? Thanks so much. God bless.